Marhaba, and welcome to the Matrix Green Pill, where real people connect. Hello and welcome back to the Matrix Green Pill podcast. I'm Hilmarie Hutchison, and today I have the privilege of hosting a true visionary and tech maverick, Faisal Abid. Faisal's journey is a testament to audacity and innovation, marked by his unyielding commitment to leveraging technology for groundbreaking solutions. During his stellar 12-year tenure at Google, Faisal became a Google Cloud expert, a Google Developer expert, and today he is the co-founder and CTO of Irene Cremations. His mission is to revolutionize industries that have been slow to embrace technology. Wow. Faisal, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You know, it's funny, when you were uh, talking about Google, my Google Home went off and started to give my bio as well. So very funny. So to start off, could you please tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background? I'm Faisal. My background, it's always been tech focused, but I've gone in various different industries and tried out various different things. So I started my career doing what not a lot of entrepreneurs or engineers do, which is just drop out of school. And I did that in university, first year university, and Google had just come out with their new Android operating system. And I was very excited about that. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. I need to build something on Android. I started to work on that business. And the idea was just like, we're going to build a new type of marketplace. Nothing fancy, but it was my first business. And I got to learn a lot. And after that, when the business didn't take off, it was, I worked on it for a couple of years. I really had a choice to either go back to school or just get a tech job. And that's where I took this risk where I said, look, the school will always be there. I mean, it's a university. They're going to want my money regardless. So that's always going to be there. Why don't I try to get a job? And I applied to a bunch of places in Toronto, as well as California. California wanted me to fly there. Like I applied to Google. I applied to a bunch of other places. They wanted me to come in for an interview. But I saw Toronto as a place where it was just growing. There was a lot of good companies in Toronto. So I said, you know what? I'll stay in Toronto. I'll try to find a place here. And it turned out that this company called Kobo hired me right on my 22nd birthday. That's how I got into tech. And when we talked about Google earlier, I've been a Google developer expert. So what that means is I'm not employed by Google. What they essentially let me do is speak on their topics, speak on products. Like we'll talk about if we get into AI and stuff and the, they will essentially pay for my expenses et cetera, et cetera, as well as, you know, I've done consulting for them here and there. So it's very interesting because I got to experience the best of both worlds where I didn't have to like do the nine to five at Google, but I still got the very Google experience and I continue to do so because the Google Developer Expert program is just so fantastic. As well, I get to take risks and be the entrepreneur that I am and start businesses or take very early bets on businesses and just join like as employee number three and see what happens. That is amazing. So from dropping out of school, but seeing the gap in the market, wanting to build a new marketplace, then getting into this experience working, as you said, a Google developer expert. So it was uh, not your school or your education, but it was rather your practical experience and the things you learned hands-on that got you onto this path. 
Absolutely. I remember doing this mental exercise where I said, what is the purpose of a company hiring someone? Right. I remember doing this. There was like a week, basically what had happened. And I think I'm a bit lucky slash privileged here. The market was good. The tech in Toronto was just growing. And so, you know, if I take you back to 2012, I shut my business down probably the third week of March and I go, okay, officially. I'm unemployed. And a week later, I get a job. So during that week, I did this thought experiment where I said, what is it that companies are looking for? And what they truly want is someone to come in and increase their ROI. If they're going to pay me, say, $100,000, they need to, that investment they're making in me needs to pay off for the business. Does it matter if I have a degree or not? Well, that just mitigates the risk when they're checking off, hey, can, will this person be a good ROI for us? What I had instead of a degree was specifically a bunch of experience, a very relevant experience because Android was so hot at that point. And I've been working in Android even before the first phone came out. So Google announced the G1 one phone, you know, two years or three years before. And I was working on Android probably just six months before they announced their first phone. And I was just like on my laptop trying to figure out what Android apps were about because I could not even afford an iPhone as a student. So I was like, you know, Android is cheap. Let's do this. And I've been an Android fan since. That's what I did. So when I when I did interview, I remember interviewing at LinkedIn and they wanted me to fly in to Silicon Valley. Uh, I think I mean, Google obviously did. A couple others uh, did want me to fly in. And all of them, I like was very transparent in saying, hey, you know, I dropped out, but for the past two years, here's what I've built. So I had my app that I was working on, as well as here's all the other things related to that I've done. So I've, you know, spoken to investors, spoken to uh, given talks, et cetera, et cetera. So I just wasn't a, you know, here's me as an engineer. All I can do is just code for you. So that got a lot of people excited. And that's really helped throughout my career. If I've looked at joining Kobo and then joining a bunch of other companies subsequently, I've never just been, you know, they're not hiring me as just a engineer, just code all day. I end up getting involved in marketing, product, uh, whatever is required of me to get the job done. Yes, you certainly have followed a very much a non-traditional path to see the success that you have. How did the early challenges that you faced shape your perspective on technology, entrepreneurship, and the intersection between the two? The early challenges specifically were if everyone is doing something and you are also doing that exact same thing, it is very hard to compete. And what I mean by that is when I started that first business, no one was thinking about marketplaces. Google wasn't even selling apps at that time. That was my actual business, which was, hey, we're going to sell apps where Google doesn't even let you sell apps. And that seems like a wild thing, like Google's not letting you sell apps. But it did happen in 2010 or 2009. They didn't have any paid apps on the store. They weren't even thinking about monetization for some reason. By the time I made all these mistakes and launched the business the world had moved forward so much that everyone was trying to do this. Everyone thought that the building the next distribution for apps was going to be like the next billion dollar company. There's something called App Annie. There was a bunch of other, all these third party marketplaces that Amazon jumped into the ring. And so what quickly happened was I realized was everyone was doing the same thing. And I was not in a position, despite being in the space for three years, I had not grown a single percentage point in market share. That was because I hadn't even launched properly. We were just too busy making the mistake entrepreneurs do, which is let's keep building till it's perfect. 
what I did was when I joined that first business, I said, I'm going to let this first business essentially fund me to experiment with different ideas and work for free for entrepreneurs as long as I kind of get them to force mentor me. And what I mean by that is they would say, you know, so the first company gave me a salary. I would say, okay, I'm going to put, say, X percentage into savings and the other percentage I'm just going to use to run ads for my ideas. Or, you know, if a company's saying, hey, can you build this? Yeah, whatever. I'll pay for my own expenses and I'll hire my own engineers for a contractor, but we'll get this done for you. If You'll let me give me a seat at the table just so I can like hang out. I won't have any opinion in your business, but you let me just hang out and like kind of learn through osmosis. And that worked a lot where sure, everyone wants free development. I am a good engineer. And so they said, okay, great. You want to do this $50,000 project for free? Sure. And I took some equity and I got some work done. And so that helped a lot. And that helped me understand how to grow a business correctly and the things not to do. And then just working with good entrepreneurs as I worked on my full-time jobs, where I saw the mistakes they made and the successes they had and the right things they made. I was like, okay, this is great. So all these little things, there wasn't really a specific like, this is what I'm going to do. A lot of it was, I want to solve a problem. Problem number one was, I don't know anything about business, so I need to work with entrepreneurs. So when I was 22, I started doing that. Then problem number three was, I don't know how to scale up a business. So I joined a business that was scaling up. I learned that. I didn't know anything about AI. So I joined a business that did AI. So every time I had a problem, I tried solving it by just working for someone or doing it myself and just learning it the hard way, I guess. That's amazing. I love that approach that you took. So rather than it just being a salary or just being a job, it was every time a learning opportunity so that you could scale yourself up and your own understanding to help you to reach the success that you have today. Let's talk about then the switch or the journey from working with the Google product to Irene cremations. Can you share the story and the inspiration behind this transition? If you reverse engineer it, it makes a lot of sense where, like I said, the idea if everyone's doing the same thing, then what you're doing is not typically not going to work unless you have something, unless you have like a billion dollars or something very specific. Irene's genesis came through that where I was thinking of what industries are left to be disrupted. And I was not thinking about the funeral space at all, but I just so happened to end up in Japan and I saw a friend slash mentor of mine from back in the day when I was just like getting work done for free. When I was working for free for people, he had moved to Japan and he uh, was there. And I saw that he was building a Buddhist cremation business. And I got very fascinated about that. I asked him about all these things about how the business works. And he told me for the Japanese culture, we're essentially like an Expedia style business where you can come on and find the lowest cost Buddhist cremation. And that got me excited because I started Googling, well, who else is doing this? And no one in North America was doing this. And so I got very, very excited. But one of the things I've learned is there's some businesses that I've done where I've been very successful. And there's some businesses that I've done where I haven't. The businesses that I haven't been successful are businesses that I didn't fully understand the industry. So I just went in thinking this is you know, whatever, I'll just build a website, we'll be good. And the businesses I did well in were businesses I either understood the industry or my business partner understood the industry. And so I was thinking about death, but I wasn't actively pursuing it till actually just coincidentally a couple of months later where I ran into a friend of mine introduced me to a mutual friend and they said, hey, why don't you um, 
meet uh, my meet Mallory, and um, she's thinking about something in AI or some other type of business. Like there was no specific idea that Mallory had or I had that we went into this conversation. We started talking, and I asked her about her big idea, and she said, "Well, you know, I've been thinking about death because my family comes from the funeral space." And I said, "Hold on, I'll, you know, I haven't heard anyone else talk about death." And I pull out a pitch deck saying, "Look, I've been thinking about death too, and uh, death care specifically, not death." This is something that's very interesting. And here, like I've Googled this, I've looked at other competitors and there's no one doing something innovative in this space. So what can we do? And that was the birth of the idea where it was like, what innovation can we bring to this? We iterated on multiple ideas till we got to where Irene was. And just in launching Irene, it took almost, you know, we were ready to launch this business in 2019, but it took about a year and a half to launch this purely because the regulatory environment is not designed for innovation. It hasn't been updated in a while. And so we had to really convince the regulatory body to say, look, this is good for the consumers. This is what the consumers need. And it took a while and they finally understood. We got our license and we've been growing since. We've expanded across Canada. We're expanding internationally now. We're, we went from like, it's wild. We went from a team of two people uh, when we started with well, actually three people. We had a funeral director as well to now being over 20 people and we just closed our seed round. And so things have been growing really fast. And what's interesting is a lot of these things I've seen while working for other businesses. So it's nothing new in the sense that, oh, you know, I don't know what we can do. We just by proxy, I've worked in all these businesses that have gone through accelerated growth periods like this, where I have people where we can leverage on and I've seen this firsthand on what to expect and what not to expect. So it's going great. Amazing. Wow. So and also phenomenal growth for congratulations on that. Okay, so I've just got to ask, you mentioned using AI or leveraging AI to redefine the funeral industry. So can you unpack that for us a little bit? How technology is transforming this traditionally untouched sector and the impact that it's making? What Irene is at a, a fundamentally is we for our, our funeral home and online funeral home. And so what that means is we don't have a physical location. When your loved one passes away, you can call us at any time or go to our website. When I say any time, you can call us at 3.45 a.m. at night. We will have a funeral director pick up and speak to you, help you during this very tough time. And, or you can go on to the website. The way Irene works is we work with the same industry partners that any other funeral home would. We work with the same transfer service. We work with the same crematoriums. The difference is we don't have a physical location. So a lot of times people, the mental model people have of that is we're like Uber. Uber doesn't have its cars, but Uber fundamentally gives you this, takes you from point A to point B, just like a taxi service. The difference in Uber and Irene is the Irene experience where you don't have to leave your home at all when you're grieving. You should be focused with your family, taking care of your loved one, not have to drive around and sign 50,000 papers and be upsold, et cetera, et cetera. So once you give us a call, our transfer service comes, picks up your loved one from wherever they are, takes them to the crematorium, they get cremated, and then the, uh, the remains are hand-delivered back to you. You technically never have to leave your home. Everything is done. You get like a e-signature, like a docu-sign, you sign it, the documents are sent back, everything's dealt with. So from you as a consumer, you have very minimal interaction with us as much as you want, right? You can either just give us a phone call or you can 
Call us every day. Like, we're here for you. Here's where the AI and the technology kick in. In order for us to scale up, if you think about a funeral home, a funeral home is bound by geographic restrictions. You're not going to have thousands of loved ones coming through your system. Thousands of families are not going to go to your funeral home every month or even in, a, in you know, you know, say 20 a day. That's way too much for a funeral home. But if Irene is operating across Canada and internationally very soon, then we have two solutions. We can either hire a tremendous amount of people, which adds to a, a lot of human capital expense, or we use technology to automate as much as we can for the funeral directors. And that's what we've done. We've gone, you know, through my AI experience, what we came up with was a system called Funeral OS. And the specifics of the system, I won't get into, but at a high level, what it allows the funeral directors to do is focus on the family and let the AI handle all the paperwork, making sure everything is regulatory compliant, all the automation, everything that the funeral director doesn't need to do. They, the funeral director just needs to verify because that's what your job is as a human to verify if the information is correct. Your job as a human is not to sit there and fill out 50 PDFs or all these different settings and systems that you have to interact with. Your job as a funeral director is to verify information and make sure the family is comforted and give that human experience. In a very paradoxical way, we're using AI to give the family a more human experience because it allows the funeral director to spend more time with the family. It allows the funeral director to spend time with more families and less time doing the mundane day-to-day tasks. So fascinating. I have so many questions for you on that, but I just also worry about our time. Let me just ask you this. As somebody who has started several businesses, you definitely a very successful entrepreneur. What would you say are the key attributes that every entrepreneur should cultivate to achieve sustainable growth and success in the tech-driven world? Focus on the big picture. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, when I started this getting into business and, you know, it happens to everyone is you get too bogged down by the details and then that can discourage you. For example, the regulatory issue, the big picture that both my co-founder and I had was we need to deliver this solution to the families. This is a business that will work. This is a business that is really needed. But if you looked at it day to day, if you went looked at sometimes Monday to Friday, no progress was made because we were just waiting. And so a lot of entrepreneurs at that point would just give up because, well, there's been no progress made on the regulatory front. Nothing's going to happen. But you need to learn to have patience and you need to learn to focus on the big picture so you can keep pushing. This has happened so many times with other businesses I've run where, you know, just the ads aren't working. Well, a lot of times I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs who just go, well, I ran like Google ads. That didn't work. I'm just going to give up because that was it. My Google ads didn't work for a month. Like, what am I supposed to do? Business doesn't work. I think a lot of it is, well, Focus on the big picture. What are you actually trying to solve? And this is just one way of solving it. There's so many different ways. And so you have to iterate. You have to definitely know why you're in it. Like if Mallory and I were in it for just like a quick dollar, for example, right? We just said, hey, you know, the reason why we're building Irene is we just want to make a thousand dollars. Then the second the regulatory thing happened, we would have stopped. We would have been like, there's no point in building. We're not going to waste a year of our life. So you have to really know 
why you're starting a business and focus on that. Yeah, really excellent insights. Some really good tips there. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. Certainly a very much untraditional journey, but a very successful one. Congratulations on all that you have accomplished so far. Now we've come to the segment of our show. We'll ask you some rapid fire questions. Our version of a game show. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's go. Okay. I'm just going to refer back to uh, something you said earlier on. You said one of the mistakes you made was to, or that entrepreneurs make, is to keep building until it's perfect. How can entrepreneurs avoid this pitfall? Know that what you're going to build most likely is going to be used by 10 people right when you launch. Build for 10 people. Don't build for a million. Otherwise, you're never going to launch. That's a mistake I made where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to design the system so it can hold a million people. That was my first business. And going back to Irene, we designed the system on day one just to serve five families a month because we didn't know what would happen. Now the systems can scale up and we do tons of families a month. But yeah, you just have to launch for 10 people in mind and just design for those 10 people. Excellent. What is your biggest pet peeve? I don't know. I'm a pretty chill person, but I would say maybe a pet peeve is probably, I I think specifically, let's just say I just had this experience recently, but like if I'm working with an engineer and the engineer is too focused on perfection and not focused on the happy path. Sometimes there are edge cases that will happen, but if there's a deadline, we just need to get it out versus focus on every single use case. So I think my pet peeve is trying to instill that into engineers, like let's get stuff out, let's get stuff shipped, we can focus on the edge cases at a later date. Absolutely agree with you. I love the quote that says, done is better than perfect. Exactly. Who is your role model? I would definitely say since I was a little kid, I would say it's Bill Gates. Absolutely. What is one thing you do every day, no matter how busy you get? I think the expectation here is I say something very profound here, but I think what I do every day is probably watch YouTube. There's a bunch of YouTube content that I've subscribed to, which are like mathematics or science. So I'll try to watch at least something. Not because I feel like I have to, but because I'm very interested in what's going on. So that's my for sure 100% I'll do that. Thank you for playing along. That was easy enough. Now, before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you about your green pool moment. What was your green pool moment, the action or event that was the turning point for you or your career? I think that moment was in an immigrant living in Canada. There's a very set expectation, which is you have to like follow the playbook. And the playbook is you go to school, you get good marks. You go to high school, you get good marks. University, get good marks, get a master's degree, a PhD, and like get married and settle down. The green pill moment was not only is the dropping out, but I think actually validating myself and getting a job. Cause when that happened, that was just like, okay, I know what I'm doing. A bit of arrogance for a 22-year-old thinking he knows what he's doing, but it was about, okay, I don't have to follow the playbook. Like I just skipped a whole bunch of steps and I just jumped. It's like snakes and ladders or something where I just took a big ladder and I jumped over three levels. And so that was, I think, was the green pill moment. Wow, I love that. And absolutely, you're right. It certainly did not do you any harm to skip all those levels and get straight to where you were going to go. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And thank you for being here today and sharing the journey that you've been on and the excellent tips that you've shared for entrepreneurs. I'm sure our audience is going to enjoy this conversation as much as I have. Before we say goodbye, could you please tell our listeners where they can find and follow you? And I'll also put this in the show notes. 
you can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place. I mean, my website, basilabid.com, has links to my LinkedIn, a bunch of talks I've given if you're interested in whatever I've spoken about. So the best is just go to my website, basilabid.com, and you can find all my contact info there. Excellent. Thank you for that. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. I'll definitely be following your journey and where you go next. And I wish you all the very best. Thank you. If you enjoy our conversations, please like and subscribe. See you next Wednesday.